This is Kyle Cord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the Debbie Debate. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back tonight. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. You <laughs> jumped up and. That's Austin Mace. Who is going to be that guy? And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm... I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screen or draw? Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time, it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Vernon, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I got to Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. <laughs> Our apologies for Kirk Street and Atlanta's time will get to rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin A, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. This is Kyle McCord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the Debbie Debate. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. There we are. Now, I normally start this show with a joke about the time zone, about how the Eastern time zone is superior and all that stuff. And we start off on a jovial note. We're trying to keep it jovial around here today. But the truth is, the group is fractured. Austin's not here. Chris Moxley refuses to come on the show tonight. Austin's mad. Chris is mad. Matt is always mad at me, so he's here anyway. It doesn't matter. But this argument and this discussion has caused a lot of tension in the Campus to Canton Slack, and now it is boiling over to this show. Austin not here. Chris not here. And we have guests. This is embarrassing. This is a little bit embarrassing. John and Andy from the Full Tilt Devi podcast, go check them out. They're going to weigh in here too on this argument that has fractured the Campus Canton Slack group on whether or not there should be waivers on the college side of your C2Cs. My two cents on this particular issue is that there is a lot going on on Saturdays, way more than what goes on in the NFL. In the NFL, if some player that's not rostered goes off 
and has a big game, everyone sees it. It's on NFL highlight shows. You're probably watching it live on Red Zone. It's impossible to do that on Saturdays in college football. It's impossible to do that. If Calvin Turner at Hawaii versus New Mexico goes off for six for 91 on the ground and one touchdown and then five through 30 through the air, Josh Pate isn't talking about that on Saturday night. Bud Elliott isn't including that nugget on cover three. The knowledge gap between experienced players and new players in C2C is just much wider than it is for the NFL dynasty player, the new NFL dynasty player and the new experienced player. Because again, if that player has that 0% rostered player, if they have a big week, Matthew Barry's talking about it on his podcast the next day. Everyone knows about it. Everyone's watching at the same time. There are no games that start at 11.30 Eastern time or 10 Eastern time like they do in the Mountain West. And there are players that are really impactful players that you can pick up on the waivers. And I just think that all of those players should be subject to the supplemental draft process. You shouldn't get someone like me or Matthew or these two gentlemen, Andy and John, that just kind of are just tuned in, more tuned in for the new player than the new player, and they pick them up. I think that it is more fair, more equitable, if there are no waivers in all of those players who break out during the season, that they're subject to the supplemental draft process. Braylon Allen, Devontez Walker, Aronde Gadsden. In previous seasons, Zach Wilson, Ramondre Stevenson. These guys were waiver guys. In week four, when a lot of C2Cs, remember when C2Cs came around, you had those waiver windows. One in week four, one in week eight. In week four, a new player may not know who Braylon Allen is, but he's a guy that we're going to project for day two NFL draft capital. I don't think that that new player should just miss out on a talent like that because the information isn't there. They haven't been able to catch up. And my only position is, is that I think that this is a way to grow the game, to make it more accessible to the masses, to make it more accessible to the casual players. You want to do best ball. I don't like best ball, but I agree that it is a way to grow the game. I think that this is a way too, is to have no waivers. And you know what? There is a small but vocal minority that creates this eco chamber. But I think most people agree with me here that there shouldn't be waivers. John and Andy from the Full Tilt uh, Debbie podcast are joining us today. You can find John at Dynasty Coach A, and you can find Andy at A Star FF. That's star with two R's. Um, John, you got to be with me on this. No waivers is the most equitable way to, especially for new players, to play the game. 100%, man. I, I completely agree with you. It just, it's it makes the most sense. Not only that, but it, it adds strategy to your supplemental drafts to where you have to actually sit there and figure out, am I drafting this guy that broke out last year or am I drafting that incoming freshman that I really like, you know, going to Texas or, or whatever it might be. I love no waivers. Um, 
I, I get the argument. <laughs> I, I get the argument, you know, for why people want to have them. And obviously, like, you know, adding to your team in season injuries by week or by weeks, whatever. But at the same time, you know, you're drafting like 40, 45, 50 guys, you know, on your team. Like you should be able to field a squad if you're halfway decent at drafting. And then, you know, I think, you know, kind of like what you were uh, leaning towards was it, it becomes who's paying more attention like to everything that's going on. And I, I don't know about you guys. I love playing C to C. I love, I, I, I would say I love watching college football. I can't, I, I have, I run a business. I have two kids. I have, you know, we we're constantly doing something. I coach their football teams. I don't have time to be sitting there watching college football all day, every day. Now, luckily for me, I have like certain models and stuff like that where I can still find all these players, but not everyone has that. So I, I agree that I think that we need to, we just need to wait until the supplemental and then everyone has a shot at all those players and you can decide do i want to go ahead and take them now or do i want to take that you know that five-star freshman like that kind of thing i think like it adds to the strategy andy this might be the last episode that we ever have of the debbie debate um so get your take in here waivers or no waivers because i don't know if the show is going to be around next week i mean i'm going to disagree um i think you guys are a bunch of masochists uh with the no waivers um i mean you can you can draft your team and have 10 quarterbacks on your roster and things happen throughout the season and then you're sitting there in week 12 in the playoffs and you're you've got one viable starting quarterback and then you know you're at the um at the mercy of the rest of your league to try and to fill that roster spot um now, I don't want to go to the other extreme and say that waivers should be unlimited. I feel like anywhere from between two to four waiver claims, if you want to do it on week four or eight, like you said, or uh, just limit them throughout the season wherever you want to use them, I that's kind of how I feel. I mean, you could you could build your roster as, as well as anybody. It's always quarterbacks and tight ends, I feel like, where it, it starts to get dicey at the end of the year. Maybe you thought a guy was going to be better than what he ended up being. And you need to, you know, make a move like that to make a playoff push. So I'm on the side of yes, waivers, at least a couple. I'm, I'm with you. You don't want to water down the NFL draft pool too much, but um, you got to at least have some sort of secondary strategy to field your weekly team. Um, if something does happen, injuries or buys or whatever. I'm glad at least someone on this show has common sense like Andy, because my God, this is just ridiculous. Look, I do get some of your points, both John and Felix, on why there should not be waivers. But Andy touched on a very key thing here. There are so many injuries, and it's not always something that we know about with these players. I mean, Felix, you were in a league that I was with last year with a bunch of sharks, and I know part of this is geared toward new players where I had 12 quarterbacks on my roster and I literally had one starting quarterback in a championship game due to injuries. Like it happens. And if you have no way to fix that, like I get, if you want to argue, well, that's life and life's, you know, that's bad luck, whatever. That's fair. But that's also the same argument I'm going to make with, if you can't pay attention, you shouldn't be in a C2C league. And that's just the God's honest truth because you're going to tell me, that dynasty leagues aren't going to run waivers because you can't pay attention to what happens. I get that it happens on red zone. You may listen to Matthew Barry's podcast, but there's a lot of people who don't, but you know what they do? They go into their league settings and they say, Oh, Hey, Joe, 
Joe Random right here had a massive week one. Maybe I should waste my waiver money on him or my waiver pick on him. You can do the same thing on Fantrax. It's really not that difficult. You can go in there and do that. John, you said that if they these guys go into the supplemental draft, everybody has a chance at them. Unless it's an auction bid, no, you don't. Because a lot of people aren't trading those top three picks unless they get a massive haul because you're going to have the Braylon Allen types there if people aren't paying attention. I do get that it does help the new people when they're in leagues with sharks like you two, Felix, myself, PJ, Austin, Chris, Nate Marquis, who I see in the chat, Luke Probasco, who's really good to see. see. If you're in a league with them and you're not paying attention, yeah, you're probably going to get screwed. But you know what else? So I could be wrong on this number here, but there's 130 teams in college football. I was picking up a guy like Rasheen Ali in week seven a couple years ago. You're still able to get guys in week 12 week 13 of the college football season that matter for your roster. In fact, I know Austin Nace, who is not on the show because he's protesting in the last two weeks of the season does that he will go and drop players and pick up guys. He thinks are going to be good. It's part of the strategy of being in a C2C league. I don't care about the NFL draft and making it better. You're not building through the NFL draft. You're building your pipeline through your college team. So I don't, I disagree with that. When people make that statement, it doesn't matter about the NFL draft, because even if you did have those guys in there, you're still only going to have like four picks worth taking in the first round. The rest of the draft doesn't matter. You have to allow these people the chance to fix a mistake because the one thing that is much, much different from college football to the NFL is the NFL is covered on a 24-7 basis where you do know every single thing, right? You, you do. With college football, you don't get that. So, John, you mentioned, do I pick up this guy who who blew up year one or do I go with that freshman? The problem is you may be thinking this guy's good and all the reports are, and then next thing you know, the dude's in the transfer portal in week two because he's not getting playing time, and you can't even pick his guy up now because you got no waivers. That happens all the time. doesn't matter how deep. 45 rounds sounds deep, but when you get down to it, especially when in a lot of these leagues people are starting 13, 14, 15 players, two quarterbacks, four flexes, 45 is not as deep as you think it is. That, that It goes a lot quicker than you think because you are going to take some zeros. So I, I get it. I play in a league with no waivers, and it's definitely a different mindset you take into it. Shaq, actually, I just see he's in the chat. He's the one who created this league. It's a much different strategy you take into it. But I said from day one in that league till up to the point where I got lucky and beat Shane Hallam in the, in the championship, only because Daquan, I think it was Daquan Finn scored negative four points. The only reason I won the I have preached from the moment there needs to be some kind of waiver system. And where I agree with Andy is I do not think it should be unlimited. I know some people like that. I have been a big proponent of four a year. You get a thousand waiver budget and you get four moves. If you want to spend all your money on one dude, go ahead. That's all you. You can do it. I did that in year one to get Rasheen Ali. I spent like 900 of my thousand dollars to make sure that I got him because I needed to run it back. I think you put some kind of waiver system in to allow people to do that. Because it does allow for you to take more chances in the draft. And if it doesn't work out, okay, hey, I can cut this guy and I can pick up the CFF producer to help my team out. Because with no waivers, unless you make trades, if your team sucks, with with with, with the college side, the CFF side, you can turn a team that is 0-3 into a championship team with waiver moves. You can't do that in NFL Dynasty Leagues. You just can't. But you can do that on the campus side of things. But if there's no waivers... You're stuck probably being 0-11 the rest of the year and hoping someone makes a trade for you and, and hoping you can do something next year. So you need to allow waivers. <laughs> uh, 
Andy and, and Matt, you guys are part of that small, very small, but vocal minority. It seems to be consensus uh, in the community that this is, uh, it's just apparent that there should not be waivers allowed. Andy, but I want to ask you, I think that we may all agree that the waiver windows should be eradicated from C2Cs because that is where new players, it's, it's so foreign from the NFL game where you can only pick up a player in week four. You can only pick up a player in week eight. And you just, if you if you miss those weeks, you're gone. I think that you would agree, even, even though you're in the, in the vocal minority on the waiver issue overall, you would agree that the waiver windows should be eradicated. Yeah, yeah. and I never really understood that. Like when I got into the CTC leagues to begin with, they're like, oh, the waivers run on week four and week eight. Um, you know, what if you lose a guy in week five and now you're stuck for three weeks waiting? It never really made sense to me why it was like that. Um, I think if you're going to do waivers, if you want to limit them, just say you've got two waivers and you can use them, you know, after the first week or you could wait till the end of the season. Um, But yeah, and then I I have to add on and agree with what Matt said. Like, it's very easy to go on fan tracks and just filter, hey, who scored 25 points this week uh, in – you know, a Hawaii or wherever it's, it's not a difficult thing to do. Um, if that's, if that's what the limiting factor is for these uh, so-called novices of the, of the format, because it's, it's, it's so, so simple to just find who these, who these guys are in these smaller conferences. Um, you know, some people might not know that, but maybe they're listening now and we'll go and go and look into that a little bit more, but I definitely I will agree with you that uh, the waiver windows, I, I don't know who came up with that. Um, it's a, it's a strange concept, but let's just, let's just stick with a limit of waivers and, you know, use them how you see fit. Uh, Shaq Windows is in the zero. chat defending himself because he is the person that no, came he, up. With he's the, actually switched. With he the, said he, he is now, he's now pro weekly waivers, not even four times a year. Like a lot. It's pro weekly waivers. Which I I don't have an issue with that either. Shaq, I'm fine with whatever, whatever waiver system you want to use, just put it in place and let it go. It is on you as a manager in your league to know your rules and to be able to navigate that the way it is. If you decide to join a C2C league, and I would say the same, if you decide to join a dynasty league, if you cannot pay attention to the waivers, you're going to be screwed either way. You've got to learn to pay attention. Again, I get what you said a minute ago, Felix, and that this college, the college CFF game specifically, the fantasy side, is not covered the way the NFL side is, except for places like the CFF side. We have an incredible CFF team here. All of us do that stuff. You've got Debbie guys like like John and Andy who will cover stuff like that. You've got many other pockets. I'm probably forgetting Eric Froton at NBC talks about CFF all the time. You have places you can go and get that information if you choose to go look for it. We're going to be talking about bargains. We're going to be giving away at the end of this show. I don't know how we're going to give it away, but we're going to be giving away a spot in SFB 13. John Arrington, Andy Starr joining us on the show today. You can find Andy at A-Star-FF and John at Dynasty Coach A. They host the Full Tilt Debbie uh, podcast there on the Full Tilt Podcast Network. I wanted to have them on because for the last couple of weeks, they have been comparing uh, the rankings of Campus to Canton and the Debbie Royale. And I think I may have surprised John a little bit that I was actually tuning in live. And he said, I don't know how the Campus to Canton boys or the Debbie Royale boys feel about that. And I just added in the chat, I don't mind it at all because I listened to last week's episode also. As a matter of fact, John, 
I don't know if I surprised you or not that I was watching, but um, I went and added Sam Jackson uh, to my rankings after hearing your conversation about him uh, the week prior. We'd love to see it, man. Love to see it. Did, did I, I surprise I appreciate- you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You definitely surprised me. I mean, not to say, I mean, we, we, actually I was talking to Tommy T who's our like producer, like in charge of full tilt, the creator of full tilt dynasty and Debbie and all that kind of stuff. And I was talking to him and apparently we get pretty good listens on our, on our show, not to toot our own horn too much, but uh, you know, so I guess it shouldn't be too surprising, but just the fact that we were talking about you guys and then you were right there, you know, definitely caught me off guard. And I was like, Oh, cool. Well, we got, we got confirmation right here. Everything's good. We're, we're good to go. Cause I mean, not that we're like sitting there going line by line through rankings or anything, but you know, you're, you're talking about other people's stuff, other people's content. Now, luckily, both of us pay for your content, so it's a little different. But we're also giving it to people, you know, that, that don't necessarily do that. So you just never know how people are going to react to it. And and I I have a pretty good relationship with most of you, and and now you know I'm meeting you two as well. And uh, you know, I've, I've been on Austin Austin's pod. Austin's been on my pod. You know, I've I've talked with quite a few of you. So. Uh, I never expected like there would be an issue, but you know, you just never know. Yeah. John, you don't, you don't know me too well. I kind of live for the debate and conflict, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm looking for it. Um, who, who's I, I think it was a good, I, I think it was a good idea. I mean, we do it for 24 seven and on three and in uh, rivals. Whose idea was it to do from a, uh, to do it from a fantasy perspective? It's always, um, it's actually, always I mean, we, we did it last year too. Um, when, when the show was just getting started and before I get started, I have to apologize to the Debbie Royale because I was, uh, just using like one of their contributors rankings on our show. So that whole bit is all messed up now, but, um, anyway, I still think it's, it is useful exercise because a lot of us only get maybe our primary information from one resource, whether it's you guys who that you happen to be where I go primarily, uh, Debbie Royale obviously has a large following. Uh, you mentioned Froton and uh, Ray GQ and uh, Brandon Lejeune, you know, all those guys have their own, you know, group of people that probably listens to them primarily. So I think it's, it is useful to take a look and see like, okay, well, where, where are there really big discrepancies uh, in these rankings and you know where does a third party in this case us you know other people could do this as well obviously um, where do they land on these specific players so that's kind of like where where it came from actually I think it was uh, Tom Tipple who um, John just mentioned he was the one that came up with the idea last year when, when we were just getting this started because you know we we're in the offseason this is kind of the doldrums of uh, college football right now and uh, we were just sort of looking for content, and that's what we landed on. So uh, that's kind of where it started. And I figured, you know, let's let's try it again this year and see where see where we end up. Is there anything that has stood out, you know, in doing this exercise over the last couple of weeks? Oh yeah, um, I would say for me, the most glaring difference between and this is you guys are obviously only two resources. Um, is how you guys rank freshmen. And um, typically your your site ranks freshmen a lot more, a lot higher than Debbie Royale. Um, I wouldn't say freshman quarterbacks. I think everyone's on, the, on that boat right now where they know that the freshman five-star quarterbacks are valuable assets. They're gonna maintain their value uh, moving on to year two and three. But 
Uh, definitely with wide receivers and running backs. Uh, you guys have three of each of those position groups, uh, a freshman in your top in your top 10 rankings for Debbie. Whereas with Debbie Royale for running backs, only Cedric Baxter shows up in two of their contributors top 10. And then for um, wide receivers, Zachariah Branch only shows up in one of their contributors top 10. And that's, that's it for top 10 freshmen. Uh, I tend to agree with you guys. Um, I'm probably biased. Like I said, you're, you're typically where, where I, I turn to for information as well. But I think that with freshmen, we've seen it with, you know, time and time again, that this is going to be the cheapest that you ever get some of these guys. Um, we saw it with Trevian Henderson. We, we saw it with Nick Singleton last year. We're, we're seeing it with Evan Stewart, Emeka Ekbuka, these top tier freshmen that are rated, you know, highly as like 99 percentile five stars at 247. They tend to hit at a much higher rate. And if you want to get them, you're not going to get them any cheaper than before they play it down in the NCAA. So um, that's kind of where I stand on it. I understand, you know, there is some risk involved with it because high ceiling, high floor, right? Because obviously you guys do the year, year zero or year one zeros for wide receivers. They might just end up being nothing. Uh, same thing with running backs, but it's, it's one of those calculated risks that I think you have to take in Debbie because the hit rates are already so low um, compared comparatively speaking, obviously when you're thinking of like NFL dynasty rookie drafts, um, so that's kind of how I feel on it, but, uh, obviously, you know, that's why kind of why we're doing the exercise. We're there to discuss how we feel and, you know, we're not necessarily right or wrong. It's that there's just, uh, difference of opinions, no matter where you look. Uh, you can catch their last two episodes, I believe on the full tilt dynasty podcast network. Just look for the Debbie shows and please drop them a five-star rate and review and tell them. Uh, that we sent you, that you heard of John and Andy here on the Campus to Can podcast feed. Um, John, come on now. Give me a player or players that we are way off base on as far as our ranking goes. Where the hell's Bucky Irving in your rankings, man? <laughs> you got to go page by page by page. I, just, like, I know he's he's small. He's 194 pounds. We just saw a 198-pound guy and a 199-pound guy and a 188-pound guy get drafted in the NFL pretty damn early, especially one of them. Uh, I Yeah, I, I'm all about him. I, I, I love me some Bucky Irving. I think that he is one of the best supplemental draft picks because you don't have waivers. And so you add him in the draft and you use your strategy to add him there. But more importantly, I, I honestly think he's a good player. At the very least, you have a campus player. I mean, you know, if you even don't believe in his Debbie prowess or whatever, and it just seems like you guys have him at uh, 46th overall in Debbie, which I get you're, you know, you're saying he's smaller. There's not 46, you know, 46 other running backs that are better than Bucky Irving. You have Marshawn Lloyd, uh, Kendall Milton, Montrell Johnson ahead of him. I'm sorry, those players are not better than Bucky Irving. <laughs> so, And then he's 35th in C to C, which is a little bit better, but it, it, it's just too damn low, man. Andy, take your shot, man. Come on. Who? Give us a player that uh, that we just have our ranking completely out of what out of whack, either too high or too low. Um, well, I say it on the show quite frequently, but I think a lot of people are way too high on Devontae Walker at UNC. Um, I know I'm going to qualify it by saying that I'm not a guy that watches film. I'm appreciative of those that do because I, you obviously bring a ton, ton of value, especially when we're talking about these freshman rankings. 
Uh, so I just typically go by the raw numbers. And to me, he's a guy that waited until his fourth season out of high school to break out in the Mac. And it, he was arguably not even the best receiver on his own team. Um, if you, if you're just looking at the raw numbers, you know, we're talking about Dante Cephas had a whole half yard more uh, yards per route run. Um, so I think you have him at wide receiver 20, if that's correct. I get that he's attached to Drake May, um, who we all love, obviously. Um, but when I'm looking at your rankings, I'm seeing guys that I like Dorian Singer, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, Malik Benson, Jalen McMillan, even Elijah Badger, guys that have proved it in the um, in the power conferences. Um, I, I tend to like those guys a little bit better. I, I think that uh, the Devontae Walker uh, hype train, it got a little out of hand in the offseason. I think it's reeled itself in a little bit, um, but there's there's a lot of question marks with the UNC too. You know, they're, they're, they're losing Phil Longo. They're losing Josh Downs. Um, I'm just not on board with saying this guy's going to be, you know, a, a, the volume hog and be the wide receiver one clear cut on day one. Um, to, to be honest, I really think I really like Bryson Nesbitt off that out of that offense uh, as a tight end, but um, that's obviously a, a separate point. Uh, but yeah, Devontae Walker for me, I think he's rated too high still, and uh, that's I don't know, that's pretty. Give much me the soundbite, Andy. Give me the soundbite. Say Devontae Walker is overrated. Say it. It's true. Devontae Walker is overrated, and you guys aren't alone in this. By the way, uh, I think a lot of people. Just see, oh, this guy's going to UNC. He had a big year at Kent State last year. Uh, he's going to be the wide receiver one for Drake May, who we all think is going to be a top five draft pick next year. What's not to love? So, but it's also really for me, I'm out. Player, but, uh, well, a player that, that I know that Matthew is in that I think that might be a tad overrated is one Quint Ewers. John, you had a conversation about Quint Ewers. What is your take? And before you give your, your take, Drop a like on this video. Can we get to 30 likes? Uh, this is a great conversation with these two guys. Again, you can check out their content at the Full Tilt Devi podcast. Drop them a five-star rate and review. John, I've, I've said this time and time again. The next great throw that I see from Quinn Ewers will be the first. What's your take on Quinn Ewers? Yeah, you know, everyone wants to talk about Arch Manning and how it's just the name and all that. I really think that Quinn Ewers at this point is just the, like, perfect score. You know, like, if it wasn't for that, then we wouldn't even be talking about him. We would just – everyone would be just saying how terrible he was last year in his second season, even though it technically was supposed to be his first season, but it wasn't, and it's all very confusing. But, man, I – I get that he wasn't god awful or anything like that, but man, he was not good. And so he has to take strides to be good. And when we're talking about that, I mean, he has every opportunity. He has like so many good players there at Texas. Uh, you know, the everything uh, about the scheme and everything is going to work for him, but we just have no idea if he's actually good. And yet, you know, he's the consensus, you know, QB three for the most part. And uh, I just, I can't get behind it, man. Like I, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't see it. Matthew. Oh, it's my turn to talk now. I wasn't sure I was even going to be allowed to talk anymore. Uh, so I'm, we're going to address all three things. Marquis serving. He's 190 pounds soaking wet. He's an average running back at best. And I mean, average is being nice. 
you go look at any of his advanced stats, not one of them crossed the regression line. He plays on a pack in a Pac-12 uh, conference that I would argue is probably the fourth of the top five, maybe even fifth. Why should he be rated high? I don't get why everybody loves Marquise. Like I, I, I get what you said on the the two guys that got drafted uh, this year. Devin Ocha, I don't actually don't remember who the other one was. Who was the other guy that got drafted this year that was like 190 pounds, John? Just one, Jameer Gibbs. Okay, well, okay. So that that makes it even better because I was really hoping it was going to be like an. I was really hoping it wasn't going to be an average back. Jameer Gibbs has elite traits, as does Devin Ocha. Oh, like of course. Marquise I mean, Deuce Vaughn also got drafted in the fifth. I mean, the we can keep round. going through well, these small guys. <laughs> I'm fine if Marquis Irving goes in the fifth round, but we got people out here talking about him like he deserves to be a second round pick. It's not going to happen, folks. He's an average running back. It's 190 pounds. Like that's just he doesn't have the a little above average. Devin. I don't know if you're giving one one PPR point per touch, eight percent big time run rate, uh, two receptions per game. I mean, these are all things that you know show that he's actually a, a, an above average rusher slash receiver in the game. The only real knock is that he's 194 pounds. I mean, that's that's really it. I don't think he's got good burst, long speed vision. I just think he's an average back. I, I mean, big man, time run we, rate. Don't lie, man. Well, we lie. we might end up being we're, one of us is going to be proven right, and it probably is going to be you. I'm proven Absolutely. quite wrong on this show often. So, but I I do not. <laughs> uh, I just do not think that Marquis Serving deserves to be rated that high. Devontae Walker. I don't disagree with some of the things you said, Andy. It is especially. We've seen there has been players who have struggled to make that jump, right? Especially in year one, and we expect Devontae Walker to make that jump. You need him to make that jump because once Drake May's gone, we don't know what that quarterback room is going to be. The main thing with him is Duke can run 22 miles an hour at 6'3", 195. He's just got incredible skills, and we I, there's nobody in that wide receiver room that really scares me. So, like, I think that's the reason why so many of us are in him because he's just big and fast, and we've seen that those guys can dominate at the college level. Now – Will that end up turning into NFL uh, and like high end NFL stock? That part, I don't know. I, I do kind of agree with you on that, that maybe we jumped the shark a little bit on that, but I just don't think, hey, look, Gump, we're in a lot of the same groups. I get it. Bucky Irving, she's not bad. I'm just going to be honest. He's just not that good. Quinn Ewers, look, I get it. He had a bad year last year. He, he did. There, there's no two ways about it, but. To two people that I, I, I respect immensely in this community, one more than the other, but I respect both of them, and Matt Waldman and Felix Sharp, have said many a times on one of their favorite quarterback prospects, Anthony Richardson, that you need live reps. You need to be able to pass the ball. You need to be in there, get those live bullets, and get that to be able to become a better quarterback. Quinn Ewers, sorry, Walker is at 23 miles an hour. That's even better. I apologize for shorting him a mile per hour there. Quinn Ewers missed practically two and a half years of football. He missed most of his junior season due to double groin surgery, came back in his state championship game, which he lost to Kay Klubnick, could not run. Doctors told him, if you move out of the pocket, you're going to tear your groins again and have another surgery. At which point he then reclassifies, doesn't play a senior year, goes to Ohio State, doesn't play an entire year again, and then is forced, no, I shouldn't say forced, he beats out, Hudson Carden becomes the starter last year for a Texas Longhorns offense after not playing for two and a half years. But then I'm told oh, the dude just sucks because you know what? He was a five-star rating guy and he's got the golden mullet and Matt, people like Matt Bruning pump him up. So we're willing to give grace to these other guys who have not had any live reps, but we can't give it to Quinn Ewers. When, granted, don't get me wrong, I get it was only three drives in the Alabama game. He was torching that Alabama offense pretty damn well in those three drives. 
what comes was, back. What, what was the stat line? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the Alabama stat line. I don't know. It was, I mean, it was 12 of 15 for 130 yards with no touchdowns. I don't know if well, I was say if you're worthy, drop two of them. So let's <laughs> let's put some context on that if we want to, too. Still, against an Alabama defense, that's pretty good as a first-year starter. Comes back, plays okay against Oklahoma. It wasn't a great game, but it was an okay game. And then injures his shoulder and his thumb. Like, but we're not willing to grant this guy grace. Maybe we did pump. I won't even say we. Maybe I pumped him up too much. But all you haters, and I have them all bookmarked. Don't you worry. I got a whole folder of like 80 bookmarks on Quinn Ewers. He's going to be the prince him. that was promised this year because of Steve Sarkeesian. He is Matthew, going to turn it around. He's Matthew, Go ahead. I got to jump in here. Do you know who is, is not pumped up enough? Not pumped up. up Home field enough. apparel? And that is home field apparel. You can use our promo code campus, the number two Canton for 15% off of vintage college or excuse me, retro college apparel. If you are listening to this podcast, you are a college football fan. Go ahead and drop that campus to Canton promo code. Just like the name of the website at home field apparel way above, way above average. And, uh, cannot pump them enough i'm sorry they, Matthew. They, no no they are way above average love home field advantage have a arizona state shirt and a texas shirt actually coming to support my boy quinn ewers last thing i'll say is also above average all of quinn ewers advanced metrics if you go look at them and they're going to be even better this year go ahead uh listen i think that this has one been one of our best shows again i don't know if austin and chris are coming back because of all the tension that was created in the internal slack that has now spilled over onto the show. But if we have to go out, I think that this is a good show to go out on. This has been an excellent show. And we haven't even gotten to the meat of it. We're going to be giving away an SFB uh, invitation. So just stick around. I'm sorry. I mean, the show's going a little bit long because, you know, Matthew has to make all of his rebuttals and he's sitting there holding everything. So, um, okay, that's Quinn Ewers. Uh, John, give us a rundown really quick on Cal quarterback and TCU transfer Sam Jackson. I mean, honestly, it's it's tough to like you know get overly hyped about him, but I mean, he's a high st- three star prospect. He he went to TCU, never really truly got a shot. Although in the smallest of samples, I think it was five pass attempts, he actually looked pretty damn good. Um, he had like twelve point something adjusted yards per attempt and like all that kind of stuff that you would love to see, but it was five pass attempts, but he goes over to, Oh no, not, not the Bucky Irving hate again. Um, the chat, the chat is he, lively today. The chat is very lively. today. I'm sorry, John. Go ahead. No, no, we, we love when the chat interjects, but, um, but he goes over to Cal and, you know, you would think somebody with that little experience, you know, even his, like, if you go on two, four, seven, even, uh, you know, his uh, profile is like, you know, he might just be a wide receiver or whatever it is. He's considered the starting QB at Cal, you know, like by just about everyone, including the coach. Uh, I guess there's no guarantees with him. But, you know, going back to the 247 profile, it talks about his strong arm. He's clearly athletic as, as could be. Uh, you know, he did. He had five passing attempts, but he had a decent amount of rushing attempts at TCU. And he actually looked pretty damn good doing that. And then in the spring game at Cal, they were talking about how athletic he was, how he was just running all over the place. I forget if it was spring game, the spring practices, but I remember reading an article talking about how, like, just how like electric he looked on the field. And of course, that's not necessarily talking about his arm or anything like that. You know, as far as if he can complete passes and do whatever, we we still have to truly see if he can do that. 
But everything that I heard, even from high school and all that kind of stuff, was that he was actually a pretty legit QB. The biggest problem is, you know, for Debbie purposes, he's just pretty tiny. He's, he, I think he's like 5'10", 180 or yeah, he's whatever a, it is. a sub-six-foot guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, maybe the the Debbie prospects aren't quite there, but, I mean, he's a sophomore. You know, like he can he could easily give you, you know, two, three, four more years, maybe eight years, depending on how some of these uh, rules and regulations and everything work out. So I, I love I love adding players like that. I mean, you know, obviously you Felix, you were super high on Anthony Richardson. But, you know, we see players like that, uh, you know, even like a Jalen Daniels, a Jaden Daniels, like these players that can run, you know, they they, they score you points in, on, you know, in campus to camp leagues. And so I, I'm all about Sam Jackson. He's essentially free right now. Uh, we got to get to some players that you all have had some polarizing opinions on. You're going to shock uh, our audience here. Some overrated players, Andy. Now, I'm going to duck after I say this name, but you provide the explanation because the bullets are coming for you. Um, Branson Robinson, overrated. Go. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said it a few times on the show already, but and we did running backs last week, obviously, so we touched on it again. And I get, I get it. He's big. He plays for Georgia, which typically we love to see in the running back. But I mean, we're looking at a one year, right? Uh, sample size so far. He didn't break tackles. Uh, he hasn't so far shown any home run playability. His breakaway run rate's only around seven and a half percent. His breakaway yards per attempt is sitting under two. Um, that that breakaway run rate, John mentioned, like eight and a half percent. I like to see it closer to like ten percent, honestly. Um, and then he's a zero in the pass game. I understand that, you know, on that team last year, he might not have been asked to do that. Uh, but he, he had enough reps that I, I you would think that he would have had, you know, a handful of catches. But he didn't have any of that. So I've been wrong before. I was wrong last year on Raheem Sanders. I didn't see that coming. I really – my take last year was that Dominique Johnson was going to be the, the better running back for Arkansas, which I maintain could still have been a possibility had he not been hurt. But um, yeah, so but I, where is where is he at? Like RB five right now, RB four, something or like that. I think he's priced too high right now. Uh, you're you're kind of drafting him at his ceiling. I think you know Nick Singleton is clearly the RB one in this class right now. Um, after that, I think it starts to get a little murkier, and people are just sort of you know latching onto something and that happens to be Branson Robinson. Maybe it's the, uh, the quad picks. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> for me, it's, it's, uh, it's a little too high for, for what he put on the field last year. That is at a star FF with two R's. Uh, you can get hit at him there. Uh, John, I actually agree with you on this next one because to this point in his career, very athletic player, but to this point in his career, he has been big Rondell Moore, the same way Rondell Moore was used in college, and that is Luther Burden. Luther Burden overrated. John, go. Honestly, that's the comp I was going to give him. It's big Rondell Moore. I mean, he's, he's the same player. Uh, you know, everyone before the what was it? Two thousand. When did Rondell Moore come out? Twenty one. Uh, before that season, everyone was talking about how he was just amazing. He's so athletic and all that. You know, yeah, he's small, but yada yada yada. And I'm looking at the, you know, I'm, I'm more of a stats guy. Both of us are, Andy and I, and myself. And, and so I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm just like, 
this doesn't scream like uber athletic. You know, it's just like 10, 11 yards per reception, whatever. And then now we have Luther Burden in year one with 8.4 yards per reception or something right around there. I mean, it was like mid eight. And uh, now he did score a, a bunch of touchdowns. So that's that's nice to see. But he just got dominated by Dominic Lovett. And I mean, I know that, you know, you talk to film grinders and they'll talk about how he wasn't used properly and all that. And, and I get it. I'm not, I've learned enough from, you know, that these coaches don't always do the right thing. And I get, I definitely understand that part. And now he's moving to the slot. Well, slot doesn't scream like all of a sudden he's going to, you know, skyrocket up to, you know, 14, 15, 16 yards per reception and all that kind of stuff. So unless that athleticism just really, truly stands out this year, I don't know that it's going to be all that different. You know, maybe we'll see him jump up to like 10 point something yards per reception. You know, he'll, he'll get a handful of touchdowns and all that. That's fine. That's better than last year. That's not wide receiver three in, in Debbie or C to C, you know, and that's the problem that I have. It just He's just being way overrated. You have players that have actually gone out and, and earned like a, a giant market share from their team, earned, you know, touchdowns, shown their athleticism. And yet they're not, you know, they're, they're not getting any of the love. And yet Burden is just, oh, because he was the wide receiver one in last year's recruiting class. Well, how many times is the recruiting class wrong? <laughs> Every time. So I, I just don't understand why we're still holding him to that high of a standard. I've done this show long enough to know that Matt Bruning sits in his seat and he simmers while others are talking. Uh, so, Matthew, um, do oh, you have any? I get to talk again. You... Oh, cool. All right. Uh, yeah. So I actually don't majorly disagree with either one of you. Branson Robinson is an intriguing prospect due to his size and his speed, but nobody viewed him as like a guy who was going to miss, make a lot of, a lot of players miss. So I think you're betting on him being like that guy or the bulldozing running back. Right. And I think a lot of the reason he's ranked so highly is due to the fact that he's coming from Georgia, which has just become not only tight in you, but there are BU. And if he goes out there, he's likely going to be the guy for the next two seasons with Georgia, which I think they will Prior with Bobo, they were a more run-heavy offense, which I think they will go back to moving forward, which means Branson Robinson's likely going to get touches and a lot of work, which is likely just going to shoot him up. Man, I know he played in 12 games. He only got, he only had 68 attempts. That's not, like, to me, it's not anything I can judge him on. So maybe he is rated too highly. I think part of that argument as well, something we've talked a lot about on this show, is just the college landscape in general, at least in my opinion, is very wide open outside of the top few guys at each position. So I think you are trying to pick and choose which guys you want to bet on. So that, that, that would be my reasoning on why I had Branson Robinson up there. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I don't necessarily disagree with Luther Burden. You guys use Rondale Moore as the comp which I don't think is doing what you guys want it to do in a negative way because Rondell Moore got second round draft capital. And while he was very productive in college, there's no doubt single-handedly handed Ohio state their ass by himself. He was in an offense that amplified the wide receiver position, which Missouri is not good at doing last year. This year, they bring in one Jacob Peeler who is credited for helping develop Ole Miss AJ Brown, Elijah Moore, and DK Metcalf. All three, very good college receivers. All three got very good draft capital. Now, you can argue what Elijah Moore has been at the NFL level. That's fine. And the thing with him, too, is he was the slot wide receiver, right? So if that's what you're expecting Luther Burden to be still very effective in college, maybe doesn't end up being the NFL guy. If you want to comp him as Rondale Moore as an athlete, with what we were able to see him do last year in a bad offense with a bad quarterback with not a good coaching staff, 
that for me is why he's rated so highly because he has that to fall back on. He is an incredible athlete. And if you just get someone that can help develop him and a decent quarterback, which I think Missouri will actually have this year, then the ce- as Michael Jordan would say, the ceiling is the roof. He's one of those guys you just have to bet on working out. And if he doesn't, then you're, you know, tough shit. And John, you mentioned, we've seen a lot of those guys not work out, right? Those number one wide receivers. But I think it's because of his ceiling and what it could be is exactly why you take him that hard, that, that high. I'm sorry. And they also, yeah. thank you, Nate. I was trying to remember who it was real quick. Nate Marquise, who does incredible coaching change articles. You need to go check him out. Camps to can also brought in the OC from Fresno who made Jalen Moreno cropper, like an absolute stud in CFF. And that is exactly where Luther Burton is going to be playing. So I, I think, he is going to absolutely blow up this year. John, if you want to close it out, I can give you 30 seconds. I, I've done a lot of research looking into these players, and I've just never seen anyone that was that inefficient all of a sudden become an NFL stud. And that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he won't be drafted. I'm not saying he won't even be decent or good even. I just don't think he's worth top three, top five. I just can't get behind it. Andy, I don't know. We're going to get to bargains. We're going to get to... Uh, the SFB giveaway, entry giveaway. We're talking to John Arrington and Andy Starr from the Full Tilt Debbie podcast. I don't know why I'm resetting like we're doing radio right now, but I think I've gotten those uh, muscles from doing the better sports. Hey, we're, 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 we're getting our name put out there, man. You know, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this is one that we're going to have a fight here because you think that one Drew Aller is overrated. He is my quarterback three. Um, I want you to give me your reasonings why. And if he's not the quarterback three, then who should be? Because it's not Quinn Ewers, so it's got to be somebody else. So give me uh, give me your take on Drew Aller. So my whole thing with Debbie quarterbacks is I just I don't want any of them ever, generally speaking, um, unless it's somebody like uh, you know obviously Caleb Williams and to some extent Drake May. Even but even he has some question marks for me. Um, so after those two, I get it like QB, QB three kind of, it becomes cloudy in the QB landscape. Um, so I'll hear arguments for Alar and Ewers, uh, and the freshmen, which is typically where I tend to lean because those are the guys that tend to maintain their value. Now I understand that that involves having to offload or move on from those guys, unless they become like a Caleb Williams, like prospect after year one. Um, but for me, Alar hasn't really, he, he had, you know, he played in a lot of games last year, never really had a ton of attempts in any of those games. Uh, I know he had a couple of touchdowns and, and whatnot, but, um, you know, Penn state gen, generally speaking, I, I hate to helmet scout, but, uh, they're also not known recently, at least for putting, um, quarterbacks into the NFL, um, at least, you know, top tier quarterbacks. Um, so, so for me, I feel like if I'm, if I'm going to take a quarterback at QB three, I I'd, I'd want to, uh, insulate the value a little bit. And I, I kind of like Malachi Nelson or Dante Moore, um, at that spot. Um, for me, Malachi Nelson is, is he's the heir apparent for that Lincoln, Lincoln Riley offense, which historically has meant the number one overall draft pick in the NFL. And we think that trend is probably going to continue this year with Caleb Williams. Um, so I don't have anything against Alar uh, because he does fit that that five-star freshman profile. He's just one year removed from it. 
um, which you know increases the the risk for everything to go to hell in a handbasket for him, which we've seen time and time again with uh, tons of quarterbacks. Like there's only two or three quarterbacks a year that are going to be worth anything come rookie draft season, typically speaking, sometimes less than that. I think uh, in 2025, we're probably going to see less than that unless something happens and Drew Allar happens to be in that class. Um, So, for me, I if I'm playing Devi, where we're not scoring points with these with these players, uh, you want to go for wide receivers and running backs where there's going to be ten or twelve guys that that are going to be drafted highly in NFL rookie drafts. Uh, if you're just playing straight dynasty, so that's kind of my my thoughts on it. Um, again, I I I, it, I could be you know totally off base with Alar, and he he might end up being great. Um, but it's just a, it's kind of a, a strategy standpoint for me. I just don't like to, uh, take guys too high. Um, you know, where Lars going right now, he's like a mid first round pick for a lot of people. And I think that's, that's a little too much when you can get a lot of running backs and wide receivers around that time where it's, it's a lot, uh, better value. My case for Drew Alar is the same case that I would make for Dante Moore is that both of these guys made. NFL throws into tight windows. And it's just not something that you see often at, at when high school recruiting. You don't see um, often the players that you, that high school quarterbacks are throwing to are like wide open on go routes where, you know, cornerbacks are just not fa- fast enough to keep up or the safety misread the coverage and is over where somewhere else and they have five yards of separation. With Dante Moore and Drew Aller, You see them making throws with three, four defenders around them. You see them releasing the ball before the wide receiver has even broken. I don't think that you can teach that fearlessness, especially, you know, going from it doesn't get easier once you go to 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 college. And we even saw that from Drew Aller uh, last year, specifically against Purdue. There's a corner route that he makes to a tight end and that the tight end drops it. But I mean, the linebacker is right there and he puts it on the tight ends fingertips i just think that he's a fearless downfield aggressive passer and the i didn't see that from tape like sam sam heward i used to make fun of sam heward on this he was i think he was the number one quarterback in his class i didn't i had did not see that those types of throws from quinn ewers anticipatory throws throwing into tight windows i and then drew aller that's just what he can do with his feet still in the pocket he can still make you know be like Ben Roethlisberger and he's hard to bring down and make throws off platform I think that without even I mean I've said as much I think without even having him seen seen him start a full season I think that he's going to be the number one overall pick in the 2025 NFL draft um I want to get to bargains bargains uh and I don't even know if I specified C2C Debbie whatever it is that you guys have Matthew, let's start with you. Let's start with you, and we'll go around the horn here. Let's start with the quarterback position. I wonder. We I don't know what not, what your you guys are going to pick because I put mine on a separate uh, separate note page. So I'm interested to hear who your bargains are. And this you're is gonna tough. Let, you're going to let Matt so, talk again. I'm going to let I Matt feel like talk. He's been talking the whole again. time. Man. So. I know it's um, 
trying to figure out why I decided not to to boycott this show like Chris and Austin did. Uh, so I went from this uh, from the strategy of when bargain season, I'm looking at this the 2023 season, more more C two C basis. How I I will be approaching my bargains. Uh, so my first one is one Jeff Sims, likely starting quarterback for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. His current ADP is at 167. He's QB 44 off the board right now. The reason I have him there is because of Matt Rule. I know a lot of people did not like the talk about Dylan Rayola going there. I know Austin and myself were both very much on that train. Of like We thought he would be a great fit there because of the offense that Matt Rule runs. Now, granted, it is considered a, a more gimmicky offense. It is off that Baylor tree. But the quarterbacks the last two years in Baylor that he had in Charlie Brewer in his year in 2020 finishes QB 13 with 206 points, which is definitely low. Again, it was 2020, so you got to take that in a little bit. It's a COVID year. Not everybody played full seasons. But then if you go the next year up, who I think fits more the profile of what Jeff Sims is, Jerry Bohannon, who did finish his QB 26 with 289 points, but was also splitting time at that point with Charlie Brewer before Brewer got hurt. Rule passes the ball. 50% of the time in neutral run script situations, and it actually only moved down to 46% when Bohannon started taking off that year in 2021. Jeff Sims fits that profile of, of Jerry Bohannon. I think he will be that for Nebraska. He will run the ball. He will be a, a player that can pass the ball a little bit as well. Again, you're getting him as QB. I lost it again here with QB 44 off the board and has the upside of a QB two. I'm 100% willing to take him as a bargain right now in drafts to be my back end QB, especially if you punt QB early on. Like uh, like Andy was just saying, which I don't disagree with some of his points. If you take some of these quarterbacks early, they better hit because if they don't, you're screwed because you just missed out on some wide receivers and running backs, which are easier to project. So that's why I'm taking Jeff Sims as my bargain. Uh, Alfred would definitely like that take, uh, Matthew. I actually thought about d- doing Jeff Sims, but I remember you all teasing and mocking Alfred, so I didn't go there. Oh, he's not an NFL quarterback, which Alfred said he's going to be, <laughs> but he's going to be a really good quarterback, I think, for CFF purposes this year. John, give us your bargain at the quarterback position. All right, so I didn't know we were going Jeff Sims levels. I I, I stuck a little bit higher up the uh, up the charts, but that's fine. <laughs> I, um, I just think Jalen Daniels is like perennially under undervalued. I I think that the injury really just killed everything, all the momentum that he had going last year. But I mean, if you're just strictly talking about C to C or campus, like he was dominating last year i mean i i had a league where i was starting jalen and Jaden daniels and no one could touch my team it was just impossible and then jalen got hurt and then i started you know doing what um uh what what matt was talking about where you know i i had like eight qbs and i could only start one or two i just didn't cry about it you know but uh <laughs> so i but i i honestly think that jalen daniels has c2c upside campus upside but i also think that he might have some debbie upside like i said i think he was making a progression he was taking a step forward in year three and now you know going into year four i think that 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 injury just really you know completely killed everything if it wasn't for that injury if he had been able to finish the season maybe he would have actually been you know considered in the debbie realm but i mean i'm looking at adp and uh, I, actually, I forgot to type it in, but uh, I, I was looking at ADP. I was looking at your rankings, and I, I don't need to give that out per se. But, I mean, he's going as like QB 28 right now in uh, in C2C drafts, and that just seems way too low. I mean, there's not – once again, I don't think there's 28 QBs that are that are better, that are going to score more points and possibly be, you know, Debbie valuable or De- Debbie viable when it's all said and done. So, 
yeah, that's that's my uh, bargain at QB there. We've got Jeff Sims, Jalen Daniels. Is Andy going to pick a dual threat also? Um, yes, I am. Uh, and it's, I didn't do quite a deep dive either, but, um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to take up for the Riley Leonard hive right now. I think they deserve a voice on this show. (laughs) Um, so I mean, to me, if the guy puts on 20 pounds and he can improve his passing downfield a little bit, which I know is obviously a lot easier said than done. I mean, I hate to make the comparison to Daniel Jones because they're both from Duke. Uh, But, you know, if Daniel Jones is getting drafted where he's getting drafted in NFL startups right now. And, you know, I don't think he's got any sort of hype as a first round draft pick like Daniel Jones was at this point. Uh, But he had a good season last year. I mean, 700 yards rushing, uh, around a 75 QBR. Uh, There's not a lot to dislike aside from, you know, he's kind of tall and lanky. And then the, that adjusted yards per attempt is a little bit lower than what we'd like to see it. And the, the dot's not, not exactly where we want it to be either. Um, so I think those are things that can be, can be, you know, looked at and uh, worked on and he can improve on this year. Um, I don't necessarily think that he's a guy that is going to come out after his junior season this year. I think he'll probably end up staying uh, at least two more seasons so again, for C2C that he's getting drafted, I think, well, for Debbie's QB 34, I didn't look at, uh, I can pull it up right now. I didn't look at the C2C rankings for what, for where he's at right now, but um, I, I just think he's a good value right now. He's kind of flying under the radar um, with, with these quarterbacks. So 26 QB 26. 26 so. Yeah, not bad. Uh, I was tempted to go with Carson Beck here for from I mean, but I've talked a lot about Carson Beck. He's ranked QB 45 in C2C. This is the best court. I'm not going with Carson Beck, by the way, but I do want to make these points. He's the best quarterback in the SEC playing for the best offense outside of Tennessee uh, in the SEC. I think that we're still getting over the fact that he was overshadowed by Brock Vandegrift being, you know, a, a five-star quarterback in that class. But Carson Beck has been the backup to Stetson Bennett since the the uh, spring game of his freshman season, Brock Vandegrift has never been a, a, a competitor for, of his uh, on the depth chart. So it's really time to let that go. He also has the pedigree, the number nine pro style quarterback in his class, but I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go with Malik Murphy. I'm going to go with Malik Murphy, nine of 13 passes for 165 yards and a touchdown, that long touchdown to Jonte Cook in the spring game. According to 24-7 Sports, multiple schools reached out to Malik Murphy to try to entice him into the transfer portal, including allegedly a school in the Big Ten uh, and a school in the Pac-12. As far as the Big Ten goes, I would not be surprised if that was Ohio State, either Ohio State or Wisconsin, to believe you, to uh, uh, what I would think. Um, uh, so because, I mean, there were, there, were, there were rumors that Ohio State was trying to get one Drake May into the transfer portal. So – Um, Malik Murphy is my underrated quarterback. The only problem is, is that Quinn Ewers might be good enough to get Texas to 10, 11 wins, but not good enough to make the jump to the NFL after this season. So then there's another season where Malik Murphy is going to be sitting on the bench. By the way, it is not, it's not Arch Manning who's coming in. And in, in, if something happens to Quinn Ewers, it will be Malik Murphy who's uh, who, who who's going to get the mop up duty and who's going to come in, in in the event of injury to uh, an event of injury to to Quinn Ewers. 
All right, Matthew, let's go to the what running back position here. Who you got for your bargain? Yeah, let me name like four players because we're only supposed to be doing one just so I can make some points really quick. Uh, no, I'm going to talk about my guy, Gavin Sawchuk, who I think more so now with the news of Javante Barnes and, and the injury that he has in his foot and how this could even vault him up even more. Right now he's going off the board as RB52, ADP of 137.9. I get it. He's a little bit small. I just flamed Bucky Irving about 20 minutes in this show for being 190 pounds. Gavin Sawchuk is the same. But I'm not trying to argue that he's going to be an NFL guy. I don't know that he will or won't at this point, but I do think he's going to absolutely smash on the CFF side, and that's why I'm taking him because we view Jeff Levy and this offense as this high-passing offense that puts up all kinds of stats, right? Going all the way back to his time at UCF in 2018, 48% rush rate was actually his lowest of his career. Then you go to when he was at Ole Miss, 60% rush in neutral situations, 21, 54%. And last year with Oklahoma, 57%, where they had a 1.20 explosive rate and a 50% success rate. You go and look at his most successful running backs when he was with Ole Miss. It was Jerry on Ely, who finishes RB23 and then RB55 in an injured year. Gavin Sawchuk can do everything Jerry on Ely can do, but he's got about 20 pounds on him. Again, he's a small back, and I don't expect him to be the lead back for Oklahoma. I do think Javante Barnes is going to get some work, but the injury to his foot I think is going to limit him some. Gavin Sawchuk is a very good pass catcher, very good person. We saw how well he looked in that bowl game. I think the injury to Javante Barnes is only going to vault him forward. So the fact that you can get him as RB52 Right now, I think is an absolute steal in your C2C drafts for the 2023 and moving on. Again, even if he doesn't go to the NFL, you're still getting likely three seasons of him as a CFF producer. All right, let's go. Let's go to you, John. Uh, r- real quick, you know, with, with Sawchuck, you know, I, I know you don't like the 194 pound guy that, that ran for a thousand yards. So go ahead and get the 194 pound guy that ran for a hundred yards. Uh, you know, I completely get it. It makes right. a lot of sense. You know, that's, that's the right way to better. Do that. What, what was the, what was the stat you used? What I, I forgot what you, what it was called. What's, what's the stat that Bucky Irving oh, big, was good big, at? Big, big time, time run, run rate. rate. Big time, big time run, run rate. rate. I wonder what Gavin yeah, Sawchuck's was. I'm just curious. Cause he only has Ooh, like I, I can actually look at rushes. Up. Uh, so, why don't you give us your why don't you give us your bargain and you can look it up as we go as we go oh, actually his was 18 percent. it was very good very good so imagine um, yeah. that <laughs> i mean he, he had 100 yards <laughs> he had like it was one, he only played but, one game only played one game <laughs> so uh, my guy is actually gonna actually, I'm, i was kind of torn between two i don't know which one i should do because i feel like i'm gonna get flamed by matt regardless no go ahead See, felix is about to drop oh. four running backs so give us both of them <laughs> but I, I feel like I, I'm trying to stick with more Debbie viable or who I feel like could possibly be Debbie viable here, but also obviously, you know, give you uh, campus upside as well. And I'm looking at Audric Estime as uh, as a guy that like I feel like is going to score points for you on the, the campus side. But then, I mean, have you ever seen a picture of that dude? <laughs> like, that dude is rocked up. He's he, he's just like the the independent school uh the Branson Robinson, essentially, you know, in, in, in at Notre Dame. But, you know, last year I was all about Audric Estime, mostly just because of his size and, and, and more than anything else. Like he has that that quality NFL size that we look for. But, you know, there was still uh, what Logan Diggs, Chris Tyree, like there was a lot of arguments to be made that I was you know wrong or I was going to be wrong. 
but I wasn't wrong. <laughs> he went out and just basically dominated. Now I think uh, I can never remember which one transferred out, but like Chris Tyree changed to a receiver and then Logan Diggs transferred out. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially his show. I, I know there's some somewhat exciting running backs coming in and everything, but I just think that he hit just about every threshold I, I look for for Debbie. I'm not saying he's like a top tier guy by any means, but I just feel like he's undervalued because you don't hardly hear anyone truly talk about him. And yet, I mean, he, like I said, he hits kind of all those like minor major, whatever you want to call it, like he, the minimum thresholds, I should say. And yet, uh, you know, and, and he has that size that we're looking for. And yet people are just like, yeah, you know, he's not that good. Another player who might be available in your supplemental drafts. Audric Estime was available in one of mine. Um, all right, Andy, give us uh, give us your your bargain. Well, I, I was going to talk about Bucky Irving, but I feel like we've touched on him and then some today. So uh, I'm going to stick with the Kenny Dillingham theme, though, and go with a guy who this is a more of a C2C guy, but a uh, guy that I really like who's gone way under the radar. I don't think he's being drafted besides me anywhere, and that's Arizona State's uh, presumptive starting running back, Cameron Scadabo, who is transferring in from Sacramento State, where he all he did last year was have 1,400 yards rushing, seven touchdowns, and 30 catches for another 370 yards and three touchdowns. So um, if, if – if we're looking at Kenny Dillingham as a guy who can orchestrate like a successful run game and he's moving to Arizona state um, where, you know, there's kind of some question marks with the, with the uh, quarterback position. We, I know Jaden Rashad is there. And then they obviously bring in the guy from uh, Notre Dame, whose name is escaping me right now. Um, I feel like they're going to lean on this run game and this is an all purpose guy. He's 212 pounds, 5'10". He's got the size that you want to see in an NFL running back. Uh, if he if he goes out, I, I'm not saying Arizona State's going to light the Pac-12 on fire or anything, but we saw Xavier Valade have a successful season there last year on a pretty bad team. So if we're just looking for like CFF producers and then we're saying, you know, you got Kenny Dillingham moving in, all the pieces are kind of lining up for this guy to have like a really good season. So I really like Cameron Scadabo. I did a write-up on him earlier, just like a Twitter thread, but um, I've been grabbing him everywhere I can, uh, all of my supplemental drafts. Chris Moxley, also a fan of Cameron Scadabo, or, yeah, Scadabo. Um, and Sacramento State, Asher O'Hara, I think, uh, eventually transferred to Sacramento State, if I remember correctly. And there was another running back from Sacramento State that put up monstrous statistics uh, there, too. I um, Okay. I actually for, forgot to include a running back of my own. So we'll skip my running backs. I just looked up my notes. I'm like, I don't have a running back selection here. Felix oh, is well. Bucky Irving. That's his. Mine is mine is, is Bucky Irving. I'll think of one here as we go around to the wide receiver position, Matthew. Yeah, so my wide receiver is going to be freshman wide receiver Jaden Greathouse. Currently going off the board, uh, wide receiver 57, ADP of 133. That room just doesn't have anybody that that inspires any confidence. You know, I know they got Colsey there. Tobias Merriweather was a guy that a lot of people liked last year. I believe he finishes a year one zero. Don't know that he takes that big step up this year. And the fact that they bring in Sam Hartman, I think, is the key here. And on top of that, they elevated Gerard Parker, who last time he was an offensive coordinator was in West Virginia in 2020. And you may say, well, great, West Virginia. Yeah, I know. West Virginia sucks, but that was by far their best year under Neil Brown. 
when Gerard Parker was an OC, 58% pass in neutral situations, which lines up with what Sam Hartman likes to do and throw in the ball a ton. They had a 43% success rate and 1.45 explosive rate. That was the two years that A.T. Perry was phenomenal. A.T. Perry is the number one wide receiver, has been phenomenal with Sam Hartman. Wide receiver nine with 293 points. And then even their wide receiver two, Ja'Cory Robertson, was very good as wide receiver 44, 227 points. And then last year, A.T. Perry, wide receiver 13. Jaden Greathouse, who they're talking about now even moving into the slot at his size and his ability to create separation. I think that Sam Hartman is going to target him a ton. Now, I don't know that he is going to produce A.T. Perry numbers. It's very hard to expect a freshman to produce top 12 numbers. But I do think that he can get you into that wide receiver two area because he's just, in my opinion, the best wide receiver already in that room. Michael Mayer is gone. They don't have him to lean on. He's going to be that big target I think Sam Hartman goes to a ton. They got a fairly easy schedule outside of a couple tough matchups later in the year in Ohio State, USC. Uh, They play... One other Pac-12 school that is very good as well, and I can't remember who it is. Uh, but outside of those, they have a fairly easy schedule. I think that Jaden Cratehouse is set to smash all the year one zero stuff and have a very good freshman season with Sam Hartman at quarterback. Looks to be used as a big slot wide receiver uh, based on the spring game. So, uh, all right, John, give us your wide receiver bargain. I like the Greathouse call there. Um, didn't, didn't he play t- tight end in high school? Basically, like, but he's just too small to, to do it. I'm I'm not like trying to hate on the pick or anything like that. I'm just saying, I I I think two four seven. I don't know if he like he, he was something. no, he was always big, but I don't know that he necessarily played tight end. Okay, yeah, maybe two four seven is just wrong, but they have him listed as a tight end at least in high school. But um, but yeah, I like the call there. Like you said, there's not too much going on. I, I have another player. I I love me some Antoine Wells Jr. I think that, you know, he, he's going to like truly break out here in his senior season. Uh, you know, he started out at, at James Madison, like the smallest of schools. And but he broke records at James Madison. Then he moves up to uh, shit, I can't even remember where he, where he plays anymore, but he, he moves up. He almost breaks a thousand uh, receiving yards there. And I just think it's he's going to continue on in his second year at, in, in FBS, you know, dominating. There's not I mean. People talk about the two, uh, 2024 classes, like this amazing class, all blah, blah, whatever. There's not that many wide receivers that are like absolutely amazing for like Debbie purposes. I think that Antoine Wells Jr. could could sneak in there and become one of those players. And so I think that he is a bargain, uh, you know, where he's being drafted. He also has that like I think he's like six one two oh five something around there. Um, you know, he has that ideal NFL size. That you know, am I wrong? <laughs> Felix no, is laughing. I'm, no, I'm laughing at Matthew sending me text messages. So, uh, oh, <laughs> uh, this is inside stuff, inside stuff here. No, but uh, Shane Hallam and Chris Moxley are on board with you and Antoine Wells Jr. I just can't get on board with South Carolina's offense, even with you know former number. That's one who it is, South Carolina yeah. re- recruit uh, uh, Spencer Rattler there at the at the helm. So, um, all right, Andy. Give me your wide receiver bargain here. Uh, well, I'm going to circle it all back because, um, you know, I was obviously hating on Devontae Walker. And part of the reason for that is because of his teammate, Dante Cephas, who is moving on to Penn State. Uh, he only played nine games last year. Um, he's obviously going to be a fifth year player as well. So that's, uh, you know, kind of, uh, it's obviously a ding on him. But, you know, if we're going to, say Drew Alar is a QB three and we're pumping up Devontae Walker because he's attached to the QB two Drake may 
then I think it's reasonable to pump up uh, his better teammate who had more yards per route run in Dante Cephas and a guy who's had a season of over three yards per team pass attempt in his junior year. Um, so for me, you know, he's moving on. Obviously we, we have seen this, these moves to the power five conference, not work out time and time again. It's not like, um, you know, being the Bolitnikov winner and moving to USC or anything like that. But, um, I think that he can take a step up. There's a lot of, you know, Parker Washington's obviously moving on from Penn state. Uh, Caden Saunders didn't really do anything last year. So there's, there's room in that, in that offense to be the wide receiver one. And if we really believe Drew Allar is going to be this uh, pro level prospect and he's going to have to have a big season to, to make that happen, he's got to throw the ball to someone. And Dante Cephas is probably his safest option right now. He's definitely has the most experience and, you know, he, he can, do it on he's put the the stats on the field uh for two straight seasons now he would have he would have had uh better yards per team pass attempt last year but like i said he only he only played in those nine games so uh i think he's wide receiver 60 ish 65 um somewhere around there uh but i think he's a guy that will be a cff producer and then potentially be i think he'll be drafted probably day three but uh you know that's that's all you can really ask for when you're you know drafting that late in the, in the draft here if there's a reason to fade drew aller it's the supporting cast there around him in seasons prior at penn state he would have been a great fit with Jahan dotson and parker washington and even brennan strange this year if it's not dante cephas is it theo johnson maybe 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 we get the the finally get the breakout from the uber athletic tight end and theo johnson i was going to pick travion randolph uh, I wanted to call him, you know, one of the more explosive players in the country. I, Trevion Randolph, wide receiver, uh, NIU, coming off an injury. The objective metrics don't support that. Uh, he ran a 7-1-4, 60-meter dash compared to uh, Nikos Harbor, who everybody just saw him run, run his 60-meter dash, 6, 6.70, uh, his 100-meter dash time. Didn't get a sub-11 in his personal best, 11.73. I still think he's a super explosive player, but the objective metrics, his track times, don't actually support that. So I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go with someone who the where the objective metrics actually does support their explosiveness, and that is a junior wide receiver, Monterey Baldwin at, uh, I almost said BYU, but that's because Jeff Collins just came from BYU. It's at Baylor, at Baylor. Jeff Collins loves to run wide zone play action and throw it deep to a post player who's running across the field and lose track of the safety. The player that they're throwing that ball to now is Monterey Baldwin, who was the fastest uh, mile per hour time, according to real analytics, uh, with a, a score of 22.8 miles per hour. The other names on this list, Quinshawn Judkins, 22.5, Jameer Gibbs, 22.3, Deuce Vaughn, 21.9, Mike Wright, 21.9, B. John Robinson, 21.6. These are all, I mean, these are some of the most explosive playmakers that we have in college football. Monterey Baldwin, 22.8, the fastest in his second season. First season as a starter. Um, 33 receptions, 567 yards, four touchdowns, 17.1 yards per catch. I think if, and when I say bargain, I mean, this is like, if you're in a supplemental draft, probably between uh, picks 12 and 15, in your 12 to 15 round, you can probably get him there. Even though when we mentioned players here, their ADP, their 
tends to go up. But a guy that you can take with one of your three last supplemental draft picks, and you know that you have the fastest player or one of the fastest players in college football. And we have seen a tendency in the NFL recently for these small, fast guys to get day two draft capital. If I can get that, or even day three draft capital, if I can get the fastest player in college football who plays for an offensive coordinator who wants to throw deep, who might get drafted in the on day three or day two maybe if he plays exceptionally well, I'm taking that all day. So Monterey Baldwin, Baylor, uh, wide receiver is my is my bargain. Does everyone have a t- I have a tight end. Does everyone have a tight end? Yes. Matthew? Yeah. All right, let's go around. I have a feeling that end. we're going to have like duplicates. The here. same guys on tight <laughs> There's end. There's only so many. Well, it'll be it'll be interested. Yeah. Yeah, I tight end is such a crapshoot. I think you could argue it's just as hard to predict as quarterback like uh Andy was saying earlier in the show. So I personally went with a guy who's already proven it. And I think the injuries have been baked into why he's going so low and and that's Brant Keithy the tight end for Utah going at 167 off the board tight end 16. He's going to be a guy that helps you win this year. This is his last year of, uh, of eligibility. So he's going to, to be gone after this year, but Utah, they, they pass fairly frequently. They're still more of a rush heavy team, 45% uh, passing in neutral situations, but 50% success rate. So they're very good in passing uh, or they're very successful at it when they pass it all. And the two years that Brant Keithy was healthy, 158 points of 158.4 PPR points, which led him to tight end one in his first year there, then got injured. And then last year before he got injured, 154 points were finished as tight end five last year. I believe before he got injured, he was tied in three on the season. And then we saw what Dalton Kincaid was able to do when he came in and stepped in for Brant Keithy. I think Keithy, as long as he stays healthy, is going to have an amazing season. And again, you are taking a little bit of risk there with the health, but I think that is baked into his ADP a little bit because realistically with what he can do, he probably should be going as a top 10 tight end. Tons of freshmen and everything going over them. We don't know what any of those guys are going to do. I mean, Theo Johnson was a high-end tight end pick a couple years ago. And as Felix just mentioned, has done absolutely nothing on the college landscape. So I'm betting on a guy who's already done Detroit it and hoping yeah, hoping he can do it uh, do it one more time. John, uh, tight end, bargain. All right, so I was going to talk about Mason Taylor, but I feel like that I've talked about all Debbie prospects. And so we're on the C2C pod. I'm going to go ahead and talk about a C2C player. And I honestly... I'm. If you listen to the pod, which clearly Felix does, I don't know about everyone else, but uh, I I I do not pronounce names very well. But I'm going to go ahead and say Varquez Gums, uh, Varquez Gums. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure there, but you know North Texas tight end. This is definitely more of a campus play. You know, he, he's also not like even NFL size, like 6'3", 230. You know, like maybe if you're Brock Bowers, you can be 6'3", 230. You, you can't be it when you're Varquez Gums. Uh, but as a sophomore, as a, as a true sophomore, he had 458 yards uh, receiving five touchdowns at North Texas. Maybe he takes a step forward. And, and you know, I know in C2C, uh, in C2C leagues, like sometimes 500 yards receiving is and five touchdowns is enough just to get you through the season. And so I, I'm going to make that my bargain. Like I said, Mason Taylor would have been my Debbie bargain, but it's a little more fun to talk about these uh, campus players sometimes. All right, Andy. All right, for me, uh, I feel like I'm just scouring the transfer portal for all of these guys that I've been mentioning, but uh, I'm going to grab another one. 
And uh, it's Ole Miss's new tight end, Caden Prescorn, who's coming in from Memphis last year, where he had over 600 yards and seven touchdowns. This will be his fourth year, I believe. Um, I know that Michael Trigg is there, and we all probably have some feelings about about that from what happened last year. I know there was injuries involved and whatnot, but um, it seems like he'll be the starting tight end there um, in the Lane Kiffin offense where – you know, it seems like it's probably going to run through Quinshawn Judkins this year, but uh, you know, he's a productive tight end. And I, we talked about earlier, this is one of those guys that I just came across because I was filtering by points per week in fan tracks. And obviously then I start to look into it a little bit deeper, but uh, you know, he's going to an sec school. Uh, he's going to have a bigger stage, obviously uh, if he can duplicate that season from, that he had in Memphis. I think, you know, that's a guy that is going to, uh, you know, be on like the Cameron Latu level of NFL prospects. He's got decent size. He's a, he's a 255 pounds. So um, it, he's a guy that I think he's tight end 24 right now, but obviously with tight ends, it's, it's just like, you know, it's a crapshoot. So we do not all have the same tight end because I'm going with Michigan tight end Colston Loveland, a former wide receiver, six foot five, two thirty seven listed now. When we did the we did a, a freshman and supplemental mock draft a few months ago, and twenty four sevens Cooper Patanga took Colston Loveland relatively early, and then we get to the spring game. Colston Loveland is lining up outside at wide receiver. No Eric All, no Luke Schoonemaker there, and he had two hundred thirty seven yards last year as a uh, as a freshman a former wide receiver with already 240 pounds he can get he has the frame he's 6 foot 5 he has the frame to get you know to 250 and that's what i really want my tight ends to be is 250 i think that he's a potential nfl tight end i think that he is a uh, a potential tight end that you can start on the college side of your campus to Canton leagues. And we know how difficult it is for that position uh to fill that position on the college side. Colston Loveland Give me who is yours again, John? Gims from somebody from North Texas. North Texas. I don't even know who it is Var- either. Chris Marquis Gums. Marquis Gums. I gotta go look up that one. Andy, who is yours? I, I wasn't paying attention. I'm, I'm, I'm it's terrible. Where, where um, his name's Caden Prescorn. Caden Prescorn. Caden Prescorn. Caden Prescorn. And Matthew, who is yours? We're Brant throwing out all the names. Brant Keithy. Brant Keithy. All right. This is. Probably. And if we have to go out this way, you know, this was a good show to go out on. Um, I don't know if Austin will be back. I don't know if Chris Moxley will be back. Things are tense and they haven't had a chance to get it out themselves. Maybe they'll be here and we, me and Matthew won't be here next week, even though I'm sure Matthew will be happy to see uh, Chris and, and Austin. Um, but John, Andy, we appreciate you joining us tonight. You can find John at uh, Dynasty Coach A on Twitter, and you can find Andy at Andy Star FF. John also writes at DLF. And then go ahead and listen to the Full Tilt Debbie podcast. And again, pre- please let them know that we sent you and drop them a five star rate and review. But that is going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Kirk Street. We ran out of time. We will get him rescheduled soon. For Matt Bruning, John Arrington, and Andy Starr, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck.